Hi all, good morning and welcome to another edition of Hans's Weekly Protocol Podcast, uh, where we aim to bring the best minds in the space on each week to talk about how they built, grow and manage their protocols uh, as a guiding light for the next generation of protocol builders. Uh, this morning, I'm lucky enough to have with me Tate Berenbaum, uh, the founder of Community Labs. Uh, Community Labs is a venture studio focused on incubating the future projects that will be guiding the permaweb five, ten years and well, well beyond that from now. How are you going this morning, Tate? Doing well over here. Thanks for having me, Archie. Yeah. So just for our, for our listeners, could you give a bit more context uh, as to what it is that you guys are doing at Community Labs? Sure. So I guess to explain a little bit of background, um, I've, I've been in the ecosystem for, for almost four years now, uh, mainly focused on building out developer tooling and infrastructure. And so Community Labs is a venture studio and research and development lab focused on exactly that, uh, basically building it, building out tooling and infrastructure for, uh, for developers with the goal of helping our weave uh, be, be adopted over the next five to 10 years, just making it as easy as possible for devs to come in and uh, put the protocol to work for their own use cases. You're, you're quite interesting in that you've obviously jumped at the beginning of your Web3 journey, A, straight into Arweave, um, which I think for a lot of people is quite unusual. Obviously, the, the obvious beachheads would be Ethereum, smart contracts, um, things of that nature, especially four years ago. Uh, and then also jumping straight into developer tooling. Can you give a bit more sort of shape as to <laughs> your, your initial journey in the space? Yes. Um... Well, so I, I discovered crypto in in 2017 through the through the Steam blockchain, um, and I, I first got into that, and I was writing blogs on a platform called Steemit. Um, but I very quickly learned that the much more exciting part of of blockchain, for me at least, as a as a builder at heart, was like building technology on top of it, <laughs> uh, rather than writing blogs. I'm really not the best uh, writer. Um, and so I just became really fascinated with how you could use the technology to build uh, supposedly perfect governance mechanisms powered by imperfect people. Uh, and so through through uh, nights and weekends, I just continued uh, keeping up to date with the space, working on the occasional side project. Uh, but in late 2019, I discovered Arweave by clicking on a Brave ad that was talking about permanent storage. Um, and that was my first introduction into uh into our weave um i i didn't really have a use case for it at the time but I, I discovered my first use case when the pandemic started uh because i was basically when when the pandemic started i was stuck in my basement for uh for six months with uh out of school with nothing to do <laughs> so started building on our weave and so it's interesting you make the point about sort of nights and weekends tinkering at what where where does that sort of inflection point occur where you decide, okay, I'm having a lot of fun building this. It might be able to help other people. Where, where do you make that d decision, that juncture to say, okay, I'm going to stop tinkering and start building businesses or building infrastructure that other people can use? Yeah. Well, so I, I've always enjoyed building things, but I, I've, I'm the type of person that, that struggles to justify building something without, without purpose. Um, I, I actually really struggled with like learning how to code in the traditional uh, in, environment of like taking classes, mainly because the the examples I, I had trouble figuring out like 
or I, I guess you could say I had trouble uh, maintaining the, the, the stamina and the interest in completing a project if I didn't see the potential that it had. So I've, I've sort of, that's a long way of saying I've, I've always enjoyed building things with the intention of, of them having some type of use or solving a problem that I myself was experiencing. Um, but really the, the opportunity for, for building products turn, turn that into building businesses came when, um, we were building in the RWEV ecosystem, we being myself and, and Martin, who's one of my, my co-founders of, of Virto, um, we, we were building, uh, Virto, which is the, the first decks on our weave and, uh, investors started approaching us offering to, to invest in what we were doing. Uh, and at the time we were building this technology because it was a need that we had ourselves. We, we needed a place to, to trade tokens on our weave. And so we were just sort of, you know, solving from first principles. What, what's the problem? Well, you, you know, build a DEX and try to, try to solve that problem. Um, when people started offering to invest, we didn't have any concept that that was even like a possibility. We, we, we weren't spending money. Like everyone was working for free. Like there was zero cost to actually, uh, maintain the operation that, that we had started. Um, but, but I would say that the main inflection point is, is that event when, um, when people started coming to us, this was around summer of, of 2020, uh, that, that you know, we started thinking like, man, you know, maybe this is more, more than just a product. Maybe we could really double down on this and spend more time focused on building a business around it. What did you notice was sort of the, the, aside from obviously being able to pay your team, what were the big changes that occurred when you started bringing investors on board as opposed to tinkering as a side project or just a project for fun? Well, so I, I learned a lot through that process about um, the value of incentive alignment. Um, and so like capital, for example, is, is a really powerful way to, to align incentives with, um, with a goal or a mission. And so for, for investors, being able to receive capital for me was, was extremely uh, perspective shifting in, in a sense that I sort of, I went to school with every intention of going to university. But when we started raising capital, uh, for the first time in my life, I was asking myself, well, do I actually need to go to university? Like, does that, is that a decision that I have to make? Does that make sense to me right now? Um, and then second to that, I would also say that, uh, there was a whole lot of alignment that we could get with, uh, with, with, with team members that were contributing on an open source basis just because they enjoyed the project. But when we could go to those people and say, look, you know, we've really enjoyed working with you. Here's, here's some payment for the effort that you've actually spent building this thing with us over the past six months for, for, for free. Um, that really, uh, I guess was, was an interesting journey to be able to go on with the people that I was working with and with, with Martin, especially, um, and, and also just as pivotal, pivotal, uh, pivotal for, for them as it was for me in terms of you know, do, what does this mean in terms of how I prioritize certain pieces of my life? And also just the idea of, of being able to work with investors is sort of, it can be rocket fuel for uh, iterating on a product quickly and gathering feedback and also helping grow something because of the connections that those investors have and the advice that they can give you. 
in terms of like building a business beyond just building a product. Um, I would say those were probably the biggest changes uh, or, or, or shifts in perspective that I had in, in that inflection point. I'll ask this next question earlier than I intended because I think you've offered a pretty good segue from that response. Obviously, since Verto, you've gone on to raise a substantial amount more capital for community labs as well, and obviously have a very good or oh, much better image than most of what that sort of investor landscape looks like. How have you sort of gone about being selective about investors and finding the right strategic investors and, and people that are, are, are right for community labs at the stage that you're at now? So, so there, that's a, a big question. Um, let me see if I can distill an answer efficiently here. Um, I, I think that the biggest, the biggest thing is, or, or the biggest, uh, I, I guess the most important thing for us was making sure that we could see ourselves developing deep relationships with the people that we brought on to the round, uh, and also, um, could see not just investing in community labs, but given we're a venture studio with the goal of producing products and businesses around those products with a line of sight on those businesses spinning out, uh, also making strategic partnerships with investors to be able to have them also invest in these businesses that we're spinning out. Um, so for me, I was really fortunate to, uh, to meet Sam uh, relatively early on in, in my process of, of building on Arweave. Um, and Sam was very much and, and still is, uh, all the time for me, a, a mentor and sort of took me under his wing and explained the importance of, of bringing on, uh, the right people into, into a project very, very early on and the value of, of what a good investor actually should look like and, and what that is. Um, and so I was really fortunate to meet, um, probably four to five people that were like the very first people that I met that Sam introduced me to directly, um, that I've been able to build relationships with and maintain those relationships over the past few years. Um, and, and being able to establish trust from those relationships with those investors was, was hugely important in enabling us to, uh, to raise the community labs round because, um, I, I guess you could say like-minded people assimilate in certain aspects. And so um, if, if we work with, with really good investors, uh, it, the, the likelihood of them being able to bring in or introduce us to another really good investor is, is much higher than if we were to partner with someone who uh, I wasn't able to develop that relationship with and establish trust, um, bringing on someone that, that I would be able to. Uh, and so I, I really, I, I point to, to Sam in terms of how helpful he was in helping me meet really awesome people, uh, like, like you guys also very early on, um, which really is what made it possible in the first place for us to raise this, this amount of capital. It's yeah, it was, it, it was a great, uh, a great process, but it's, it's been a journey. It hasn't just been this, this event. Very, very efficiently distilled answer. Um, and and go, going back, go, going back to the previous one as well, just out of curiosity, do you ever think back to what it would have been like if you had gone to university? I, you know, I, <laughs> I think about that a lot, actually. Um, uh, what I, I don't know, I, I have spent a little bit of time on 
university campuses. Um, and, and the amount of time that I'm spending there is actually increasing because we're seeing a lot of potential in using, uh, or not, not using, but going to university campuses and, and, um, I guess using them as, as a way to, to outreach to, uh, to, to younger engineers that are looking for opportunities to, to build things. Um, but I guess to, to answer your question, I, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing out on a ton of really cool experiences, uh, that people get when going to university, but I also know that I'm really enjoying, like I'm, I'm learning things like all day, every day, constantly. Um, I feel like each year now feels like, I, I guess, 10 years, uh, compared to the year before. And so I, I am very happy with, with where I am right now in terms of being able to learn. Um, and, and I would be very interested in, in taking certain classes in university, like statistics, for example, I think that would be incredibly helpful. Um, but I also really, I, I enjoy learning things independently. And so being able to surround myself with people that went to university, but not necessarily go to university myself has sort of been, uh, I, I guess you could say sort of a, a cheat to, to the system. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, because, and the, the other interesting thing that I was, I was going to tack onto that as well is obviously web three, it, it's a field that brings together a lot of, uh, yeah, I, I can say like, I guess, academic disciplines in the sense that you've got like computer architecture, systems design economics, the, the whole, the whole range of things like that. And obviously you're, I think you're a very good example because when you started out, it was mainly developer tooling and exchanges. And if you'd kept on going down that path, you would have learned a lot about developer tooling and exchanges. And then I think it was around midway through this year, you guys launched programmable exchange tokens, um, which to me just sort of demonstrated a very deep understanding of some complex finance and economics topics. So I'd be super interested to hear about what the process was like for you filling in any knowledge gaps you had in the design of, of that launch. Um, and then also sort of where you, where you went for help and sort of that design. So it was super impressive. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I can say with certainty that we are very much just standing on the, the shoulders of giants here. Um, but I, I appreciate it. I, I, I guess for, uh, PETs specifically, um, I, th through, through my work with, with Virto, I learned a lot about, uh, you know, DeFi and how exchanges currently operate and how AMMs are different, have different structures and different ecosystems and different constraints given the different blockchains that they're built on top of. Um, and I also have sort of spoken a lot with, uh, in investors around how they see economies being built in real time, how they're seeing economies structured uh, within our weave, but but also on on other blockchains and in other ecosystems. Um, and so with with our weave specifically, um, we really saw that there are a lot of different ways to build out um, exchanges it, because you don't have constraints that you would typically have on other blockchains. So for example, in terms of like, th this is a little bit technical, but for Ethereum, you know, you pay gas proportional to the, the size of, of a contract interaction. Um, and in, in Ethereum, it's, it's not, not easy. Um, it, many would consider it infeasible to have a, 
uh, a central limit order book type mechanism uh, native to that chain because a central limit order book would be too large in size to store on chain, uh, just just too expensive. Um, and for our weave, we don't have that restriction because contract state is 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 off chain. You you calculate that yourself. Um, and so PETs are basically the idea of enabling people to build out their own exchange mechanisms uh, into assets themselves so that uh, you don't rely on a, a, a centralized or, or, or decentralized but central party DEX to, to be able to trade an asset. Um, and so a lot of that, that theory and methodology was, was inspired from conversations with uh, with various investors, community members, and also, um, you know, Sam and making observations with within uh, the ecosystems and and figuring out where where we where we could approximate the the biggest needs to be. Mm. On on that point as well, and obviously with your various product launches that you've had in the last year, I know I've been I've been drafting podcast notes for you for a while, and it's changed so many times just because of the amount of things that you guys have been launching. But at what point did you decide, say, I'm running this exchange, Verdo, and this isn't enough work for me. I want to go start a venture studio and work on a number of other projects at the same time. What, what, what inspired that? <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I mean, in, in, uh, at the end of 2021, I was uh, on a walk in Central Park with, with Sam um, and we were talking about uh, essentially like what the five year, five to 10 year vision for our weave is and, and what do we think the ecosystem needs to be able to, to get there and accomplish that five to 10 year vision. Um, and in, in parallel to that conversation, we were sort of talking through problems that our own team was experiencing um, simply due to lack of infrastructure uh, that, that would have been necessary uh, or, or, or is necessary to enable us to accomplish certain goals that we had as a team building out Birdo and our connect. Um, and so the combination of these factors sort of made us realize in real time that there was a huge opportunity to form um, an entity, I guess, comparable with goals similar to what consensus would be for Ethereum, if you're familiar with the consensus organization. Um, you know, within the Arweave ecosystem, I, it wasn't really something uh, that was inspired from my my lack of of busyness, <laughs> uh, because I, I definitely I would say that it, it's you know I've I never am bored in the ecosystem. There is always something to do, and that's one thing that I love about it. Um, but it was it was more so inspired by just the needs of the ecosystem and how we we were also experiencing those needs ourselves. And if no one else was going to build out these opportunities, um, how were we gonna how are we gonna figure out how to how to solve those problems? Um, and so that's where the idea of starting a venture studio came from. Um, yeah, and obviously you bring the consensus analogy into play here. And you at Community Labs are trying to build sort of that foundational tooling to reduce a lot of the pain points for people trying to build on Arweave. How do you prioritize which tools you ship first or which things that you're looking to research at any given point in time? Yeah, 
That's a great question. Um, so we we do a lot of a lot of research uh, research um, in, in a lot of areas, sort of simultaneously. Um, I, I don't think that there is uh, there's such thing as doing too much research about something. Um, so we we do a lot of research about the needs of of the community and the needs of the ecosystem, and also where more more generally where where web3 and where crypto is um and how we can sort of build tools that can can meet those needs in in other markets and bring more people into the rweb ecosystem um but i would say most simply that uh our core focus has been around building needs that we have that we ourselves have have experienced um, problems that that we are actively experiencing and, and realize we need to solve because we realize that no one else is really thinking about these yet or or uh, just doesn't have the bandwidth to solve these problems. Um, so so much of it is is based on our own needs as a as a team and as a community. Um, and and there's there's also a lot of research that goes into figuring out you know are, are is it just us are we doing something terribly wrong or like. <laughs> Uh, are there those same needs within other teams in the ecosystem? Um, yeah. So as a founder at the moment, balancing your time across, obviously the variety of tools that you guys have already launched, like I, I see every week, more things and more things building or experimenting with execution machine, EXM. Um, and then obviously researching and developing possible new launches. How, how, how do you manage your time across those? Is there any system or is it fairly ad hoc for yourself? So I, I definitely will preface this with I am no expert in time management. Uh, that that's something that I'm actively trying to improve on and, and get better at uh, as we've been scaling. What I can say is that um, one of the biggest reasons why we decided to uh, to to structure ourselves as a venture studio was so that we would be able to build out teams that could operate and spin out. And, and operate independently and autonomously um, without need, without the need of, of direction from, uh, from community labs or, or a, single, a single person. Um, really focused on creating scalable processes so that uh, my time doesn't need to be focused on every single thing all the time. Um, I, I think that it, depending on the stage of projects, um, so, so, for early stage projects that are pre MVP, I spend a lot of time with the founders. Uh, we we call them fellows. Um, in in terms of thinking through how to how to build the product, how to structure it, um, how to position it well to be able to launch into the ecosystem, and and who they should be talking to, what types of relationships should be made uh, fairly early on. And so that's that's very time intensive, and I find myself going between. Um, those, those types of products very, very often, those, those people with those needs. Um, and then post MVP, after they've gone to market, then the question has sort of become, okay, um, you, you understand the importance of, of launching a product and, and how to do that efficiently. But, but now what can we do to sort of track the, the success of that product in the market and figure out, you know, where it's going in terms of the, the path to product market fit and, and honing in on that. Um, and so I've, I've been spending an increasing amount of time with Execution Machine and with Andres um, thinking through those things in, in real time. We're, we're all sort of learning together here uh, in, in how to 
how to spend time most efficiently and, and where we can pull in other resources and uh, advisors to help, um, to help coach through that, through that process. Um, but I would say that I, in g- generally, I try to spend less than half of my day on the phone. And then the other half of my day, either uh, executing asynchronously on, on things, uh, or doing research on a potential idea that, that could become a product and could have a team around it. Uh, or, you know, naturally with startups, there are fires. So, uh, also putting out fires where, where there are, (laughs) um, which yeah, certainly is something I can't deny happens, happens at times. Yeah. And so with, with these fellows, just to clarify something, so you would say that the typical life cycle of a community labs product is that you and the team do the research on an idea that you think can improve the experience for builders on Artweave. And then how do you go about matching that idea to something that can be to A, a fellow who can, who can run and lead the project and then B, to something that be delivered at scale? Yeah. Um, so it's very much, this is a process that we're, that we're iterating on and trying to improve on, but it's, it's definitely a, um, it's, it's an art and a science, I would say, um, trying to figure out like we, we never want to, uh, to, to force a product on, on someone who might not be interested or might not feel passionately about the, the efforts of pursuing it. Um, and so being able to match a person to a product is very much, at least to date, I've found that the, the process has been about getting to know the person as a potential founder um, and developing that relationship with them and figuring out where their interests lie. And then if there is an overlap between a product that we're thinking about and, and this person and their interests, uh, pitching it to them to see if there would be some level of interest there. Um, and if, if there is, then great. You know, if, if, if they're a founder type, we can onboard them as a fellow and they can be like the first member of a founding team around this product. Um, and if it's not, then, you know, we can find other ways to collaborate in the meantime, uh, or, or, or work together. Um, and so I guess in terms of the preparing for go to market, um, the, the biggest thing is we are very much an engineering heavy team. And so we really like to get on the phone and talk through how to build things. Uh, ideally, you know, before we even start building something, we want to have an idea at least of, of how it could be built out. Um, and so working with that person to make sure that they have all of the engineering uh, assistance they need to actually build that out, uh, be it, you know, engineers specifically to help them build out certain components or, uh, you know, or, or design resources or things like that. Um, or just people to talk to, to, to get inspiration from on like how to get up to speed with a, a tech stack that they need to build in for something. How do you go about building that pipeline of potential fellows? Is, is there a bit of pitching the RWE vision involved sort of where, where do you source them as well? So it's, it has very much been, uh, a not straightforward path, I guess you could say. Um, I, I, I. I'm fortunate to, to be sort of dabbling in multiple different communities uh, at any given time. And so um, it, it's totally just about establishing a relationship with, with people for me. 
Um, I, I think that, uh, I have not yet found a efficient way of, of doing this at a very large scale. That's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about and, and am pursuing actively. Um, however, I, I think to date the, the best way has just been, um, not being afraid to, to share what we're working on. And then people with like-minded interests have sort of, uh, have either reached out to me from within a community or I've noticed someone working on something cool and I've reached out to them. Um, and so we've, we've gotten a lot of our inbound from, uh, from ironically like cold Twitter DMS, uh, with people that have been working on really cool things, or I'll just cold DM someone on discord or Twitter. Uh, if, if they're working on something interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And in terms of, you said you started this whole, uh, experience maybe four years ago, you said, didn't you? Yes. Yes. Correct. Yeah. If, if you, if you were to go back then, what, what advice would you have for other young founders in the space? Um, trying to, trying to carve their way into, to getting to, towards where, where you are right now. That's an interesting one. Um, well, I certainly have a lot of mistakes. I could, you could, <laughs> uh, try to discourage, uh, people from, from making, um, that would probably take too much time to talk through or <laughs> today though. Uh, I think if I had to give some advice, I would probably say to, um, focus on, focus on building, uh, don't, don't get caught up in, in the hype of, of crypto. Um, I, I, yeah, believe really strongly in focusing on fundamentals and, and not, you know, focusing on like the, the price of a token or something like that, like build on technology because you believe in it, not because you believe you'll, you'll make money from it. Um, and then second to that, I would also say, um, maybe for, for me, one of my weaknesses is, uh, spending too much time focused on tech, not enough time developing relationships with people. Um, and I, if I had have learned to, uh, to, to be better at, at outreaching to other engineers and developers and, and people that, that shared my interests, um, I, I, I might be in a better position than I, than I am right now. Um, just simply cause I would have had more time to sort of pursue that path. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you weren't, using community labs to build infrastructure, uh, the REV ecosystem, what, what other, what other parts of web three more generally excite you that, that you would experiment with <laughs> outside of our way? Oh man. Well, I guess, you know, I, I think that our weave is really interesting to me because it's one of those very simple, easy to understand yet also incredibly deep technologies that is like capable of, of reaching the masses in ways unlike other, in, in ways that not all other blockchains are capable of. Um, very, very interested in, um, zero knowledge cryptography. I think, yeah, casually that's, that's something that's interesting to me. Um, just because of, of what we can do with it. Uh, although I, I, I think that there is a lot of like cryptography is one of those things that, you know, uh, it, it, it just takes one person to prove that, that something is, is not secure. Uh, and so staying mindful of that is, is something that I've, I've been conscious of. That was some advice that I received, uh, that, that I really took to heart, I think. 
Um, so yeah, zero knowledge, um, permanent storage, and I guess artificial intelligence as well. Although that's probably one of the the more more common answers these days, <laughs> given uh, GPT three and um, upcoming GPT four. Yeah, it's definitely been wild to see that. Uh, I think I think with with good reason though. Yeah, and going back <laughs> to sure. sort of what you said about incentivizing incentivizing younger builders to build on Arweb and build with community labs and your your emphasis on focusing on the tech and not on the hype around crypto. How have you found sort of getting people to build now uh, when there's less of a economic incentive, I guess, to get involved with crypto? How, how do you talk people sort of down from that when, when people might be saying, oh, it's a bear market or crypto might be dead, things like that? What what sort of your go to affirmation? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think that for us, um, when we first started building out Verdo, um, I was the only person on the team that had any prior experience or knowledge of crypto, um, and everyone else that was building it was was on board because they enjoyed the idea of the technology, not because they were interested in the financial incentives associated with it. Um, and so th there was like this, uh, this, it's been something I've, I've been trying to recreate within the community labs team. Uh, it was like a sense of childlike wonder, uh, uh for, for, for the technology rather than, um, for, the financial implications of, of the technology. And so for me, if, if someone is sort of, if I'm, if I'm talking to someone and, and I am in a position where I feel like I have to convince them of the technology itself for reasons of finance, um, it's actually sort of a litmus test for me to say, like, maybe this person isn't, isn't the best fit for, for us right now. Um, if if that if they're questioning it not because of the financial implications but because of the stability of the technology, um, I I think my answer to that would be that you know you should do your own research but look at where the ecosystem is right now and look at how many people are building on top of our weave and look at how different the technology is compared to the types of things that other people are building on other blockchains. Um, and, and oftentimes that seems to at least prompt further research from, from the person, um, because it makes them curious. About, about to give you a very high level question. So feel free to take this one wherever you want, but sort of what, what's your five, 10 year vision for our wave? Uh, and what, what sort of things will you guys, what do you envision community labs doing to help bring are we to that point? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that, uh, for, for us with community labs, um, we're, we're sort of approaching this from like a, a, a bottoms up perspective, uh, in, in a sense that we are building out tooling and infrastructure in hopes that people use that tooling and infrastructure and build on top of it, uh, to build eventually what would be consumer facing use cases of of the protocol. Um, it, I think that for us, we, we see a lot of opportunity, uh, in, in multiple different industries for, for 
permanent data. Obviously, like philosophically, there's a history element to that and the preservation of history um, that is, is, you know, very, very compelling and unrivaled. Um, from, a, from a business perspective, we also see potential in uh, enabling developers to build applications on our reef faster than they could build an application in Web2, even if they're using a tech stack that sort of uh, feels very similar to the tech stack that that a Web2 developer would be using. Um, and so that's that's a narrative that we've we've been really excited to be pursuing with Community Labs is, is trying to build out uh, tooling and infrastructure in hopes that developers use Arweave not necessarily because they care about storing data forever, but simply because as a developer, it can be faster for you to iterate on a permanent data layer than it would be for you to build like a technology in, in web two. Um, and, and so execution machine is, is a great example of this. Um, like we, in, in, when we were building applications in web two, um, we came across the problem very commonly, uh, that serverless functions are, are very powerful for creating uh, programs that, that execute things quickly um, and, and on demand without having to host logic on like a server to operate. But one of the common issues or uh, shortcomings of serverless functions was that they didn't have a state uh, associated with them. You would have to build like a database and then connect the database to the serverless function and connect the serverless function to an end user. Um, through like a front end. And on our weave, you know, serverless functions can be stateful through things like execution machine, meaning you no longer need that component of a database. Uh, now that state can just be inherent within the serverless function itself, um, which is, is, is interesting. Like the goal is to help people build things faster. Um, and so we, we are, are trying to accomplish that with execution machine by removing components uh, that would traditionally exist in like a web two tech stack. Um, so we, we hope to continue building out those types of things that make it faster for developers. Um, and then five to 10 years from now, we, we also really hope to see more institutional, uh, and enterprise awareness and adoption of the technology, um, and, and hope that that trickles down to, to retail and consumer. Um, and so focusing on, but yeah, I, I guess in order for those different sectors to be possible in the first place, we have to have robust tooling that those enterprises can, can use to, to integrate support for our weave into their own use cases. Um, yeah, I, I guess you could see use cases of our weave in like supply chain settings, um, tons of, yeah, <laughs> I'll stop there. Cause I, I don't want to ramble, but, um, that's sort of where, where we see the, the future. And we believe that in order to get there, we have to start with tooling and infrastructure. Are you, are you already pitching to enterprises on the use of some of your tools? We are currently in collaboration with, um, with a few people with the goal of, of, of doing that, certainly. I, I, can't, I can't say much more than that, though. Yeah, I, no, no surprises there. Um, in, in terms of even outside our even outside of enterprise adoption of your tools, what, what do you think will be the big unlocks for getting the, the regular Joe and Mary to use Web3? Yeah, so a few components. I think that um, the simplest answer is uh, when 
Joe and Mary don't know that they're using a crypto application that is powered by crypto. I think we've won. Um, and so in order to get there, um, one, one component that I think is really important is abstracting away the concept of like a wallet. And so one of the protocols that we're building out actively right now with a, a fellow um, is a, a, an authentication protocol that, that effectively uh, enables people to interact with, with Arweave applications and, and put data onto the permaweb, uh, but in a completely walletless way without actually having to, to, to have a wallet with a private key. Um, for, for certain financial use cases, you know, obviously it's going to make more sense for them to have a wallet. Um, but for most consumer facing use cases, uh, or, or at least a, a majority, I think we, we foresee, uh, the, the need to abstract things like that away. Um, and so that's, that's one thing that we're pursuing. Another component of this is we believe that you shouldn't have to hold crypto to be able to, to interact with, with a network. Um, and so I know that some other blockchains are, are trying to do this, but with our weave, it's, it's really easy for us because we have, um, bundlers that submit, uh, groups of data to the network at once. Um, and the bundler is what pays the transaction fee and our weave tokens, but those bundlers can charge, uh, for payments in, in other currencies. It could be other cryptocurrency or it could even be fiat. Um, and so we, we see a lot of potential with, with abstracting away the, the needs for, uh, for, for transaction fees and the concept of gas as well, uh, for, for these, these end user consumer, uh, facing use cases, I guess. Is, is there any projects in particular that you see as sort of the benchmark in terms of consumer UX? Oh, interesting. Uh, so, so in terms of, uh, like building in crypto, uh, with really good consumer UX, is that what the, what the question is? Okay. Yeah. 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 So I, I came across a project recently, uh, called giddy up actually, or, or giddy. Um, and they are working on a, a wallet that's, that's a crypto wallet, but their, their user experience is, is really, it's unbelievably clever in terms of how they've designed the application and how approachable it is. Uh, it, it really does not feel like a wallet. It feels like um, just another way to store, you know, to, to store things. Um, and so that's, I think, I think they've done a really good job at that. Um, they, they haven't quite launched yet, so it'll be cool to see how that goes. Um, and then within the Arweave ecosystem, I also think that projects like R drives, uh, and Accord are doing a really good job at like, at, at making it as easy as possible for, you know, end users to upload data and, and view the data that they've uploaded to Arweave. I know that R Drive just launched with a, a mobile app. And so that's been really cool to see. Uh, and I, I hope that the, the move to mobile adoption of, of crypto continues within the ecosystem too. Um, I think that'll be really, really critical as well. But yeah, R Drive, Accord, uh, and then, and then Giddy, they, they're doing a pretty good job from what I've seen. Yeah. As, as someone who spends like a lot of your bandwidth, you, you're obviously well across the ecosystem, work on a number of Web3 projects at once. How do you get away? Like how, do, how do you escape from Web3 and, and sort of what, what interests you outside of this space? <laughs> well, I, I definitely think that my, my work, I live to work. I don't work to live. Um, so I, I really enjoy 
feeling that fulfillment and, and working, um, it, 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 do, it doesn't really feel like work to me, I guess. Um, and so in terms of what I'm doing when I'm not working, um, besides sleeping and eating, I guess, <laughs> I really, I really enjoy skiing. Uh, and so whenever there are, are, are crypto conferences that are like on the side of a mountain, uh, like, like East Denver, for example, that's, that's something that's very tempting to me because it's sort of a combination of, uh, what, what I enjoy the most. Um, and then I also really enjoy, uh, you know, being able to spend time with, with my family very close to them. And, uh, they, they help me recharge a lot. So, um, yeah, fam- family is, is big for me skiing and, and, and working. Those are, yeah, that, that's what I enjoy the most. Do you talk crypto around the family dinner table? Um, for, for those listeners unaware, <laughs> T- Tate's dad is also the founder of Aftermarket. We do. Yes. Uh, quite, quite often. Um, we, so, so I guess that's sort of, I guess I'm cheating with that answer, but, but yes, yes, we, we do talk quite, quite often about that stuff, um, and, and enjoy it. You know, it's, it's fulfilling. Um, it's, it's one of those subjects that's sort of infectious, I guess it sort of spreads. So, um, yeah, crypto around the dinner table, but, but also not necessarily, you know, like we like to go on walks and hikes and things like that. Um, and maybe only, maybe only half of that time will be spent talking about crypto. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then also geographically, obviously now we're having this conversation, my morning, your evening, how, how do you think about sort of the geographic elements of building the multitude of teams that will consist of community labs? Um, what, what are your thoughts of the crypto scene in New York where you're based and, and sort of where, where you see that going? Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. So, so we started as a, a fully remote team, um, and we've maintained that over the past few years of, of our existence. Um, and so that has, it's been really eye opening. I think that crypto just as an industry is extremely, uh, accepting of, of different demographics and different types of people. Um, something that I have been really fortunate to, to get into, I think, um, because people, I, I I don't feel judged for, for my age, I guess you could say. Um, and then in terms of the different geographies and time zones, uh, I love working remote because when the entire team is, is, is actually is, is good at that and used to it. Uh, there's progress that's just happening 24 seven. And so you always have uh, something to wake up to that, that can sort of backfire uh, when, when a fire is, is happening. <laughs> uh, but, but more often than not, I think it's definitely uh, very exciting to be able to have such a global remote team. Um, and, and in New York, it's, it's also great. Like it's a great community. I've been fortunate to to be closer, get closer with a lot of our investors uh, and, and, and advisors and close friends um, here. But but I would also say that you know I I met all of these people online, and it was years before I actually met them in person here in New York. Um, and so I, I'm really excited by the the concept that that you don't necessarily have to lose opportunities for living in places other than big hotspots that, that crypto is, is more widely known. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, that digital nomadism is, is one of the great benefits that I think a lot of people experience. 
Um, to, to close out, thank you so much for all the really thoughtful answers. It's been really interesting having you on. I'm going to go a long way away from crypto. If you could have a dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you want to have dinner with? <laughs> uh, okay. If I, if I had to have, or if I could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, it would probably be, uh, George Washington. That would be very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Very so American. Any, but... any reason Washington and not any of the subsequent presidents? <laughs> well, because Washington uh, set the precedent. I, I think that I would be very curious to understand why, you know, why he chose to relinquish his term after after four years and better understand his his overall philosophy of, of, of government and governance. I think we have a lot of lessons that we could learn from that in, in crypto. Uh, it'd be very interesting to me. Yes, especially for people like yourself developing the infrastructure for long-lasting systems. Um, thank you, thank you very much for coming on, Tate. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, do you have any any last words about Community Labs um, for any listeners who might be interested in learning more? Well, I can say that we are we're currently hiring hiring across the board, and so uh, if if anything that I've said sounds interesting to you, uh, would would love to would love to talk. Um, we're actively looking for for fellows to start projects and also looking to collaborate with, with teams that are building in our weave uh, already. Um, so if that sounds interesting, please reach out. But otherwise, um, Archie, thank you for, for having me. I really appreciated the opportunity and this has been great. No, th thank you very much for coming on. Uh, for any, anyone interested in Community Labs, uh, all links will be included in the show notes. All the best. Thanks so much for listening to that latest episode of Hands' Protocol Weekly. I deeply hope you enjoyed it. If you want to stay up to date with our podcast every week, follow The Firm or myself on Twitter at Hands underscore network or at AHR Whitford. Even better, uh, if you're a best case scenario where this episode has motivated you to start your own protocol, I'd recommend heading to our website at handsa.network and reaching out to the Accelerator Investments team through our founder forms there. I've been your host, Archie Whitford. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to next time.